Interskeptic Saints, so we have been, uh, we've been on this journey of coming to a full realization that we don't have to be forced into an unnecessary dualistic choice, right? Do I follow the path of the inner skeptic? Which I, I've been there. I've, I've been forced to kind of follow that path, and it kind of leads me just kind of um, down this path of creating distance uh, between just being in relationship with the beauty of the divine that's around me at all the t- all times. And uh, it, it's affected um, just who I am at my core as I followed that, that path of that inner skeptic, you know? But um, I've also then kind of gone down this path where I've chosen, all right, well, but now I have to believe the right things. I can't question things, I, you know, like, that path of sainthood, and, and then I kind of feel like I'm not really being genuine with a lot of the questions that I'm wrestling with, right? Maybe you've been there. Start to feel like I'm kind of this super Christian, but super Christian to the point that I'm no earthly good because I'm not really being totally fully human. So we realize that we don't have to like, you know, be forced into this dualistic choice of one or the other, but actually being human a lot of times, being a follower of Jesus, a lot of times is, is realizing that we're caught up in this mystery, uh, but yet we're caught up in this mystery, but, but God is like working through us and um, calling us his children and asking us to, to bring about the things that he desires for his, for his good world. Um, so inner skeptic saints, yes. Um, I don't know why... Pastors feel like they have to give sermon titles to their messages. Um, some I'm more proud of than others. Today's I was just really proud of. Um, what the hell? Salvation belongs to our God. And, and this is where this comes from. So if you were here last week, uh, I referenced as we were just wrestling with just kind of um, the reality, the reality of evil and suffering in the world. And God, are you there? And how do we reconcile all of that? Um, I referenced the December 26th, 2004 uh, earthquake tsunami in the Indian Ocean, and 230,000 people perished. Uh, Very soon after that event, uh, there was a well-known Christian preacher who took the liberty to declare that hundreds of thousands of people went straight to hell. After I threw open my mouth... Um, and again, wanted to follow the path of the inner skeptic and just kind of walk away from this thing known as the Christian faith. Um, I, I stopped and I paused and, and, you know, maybe like you, began to wrestle with just, okay, how, how do we think about these things? Like, how do we really engage with this mystery that we're caught up in? And how do we take seriously... Um, both the holiness and justice of God, but also the love and mercy of God. Like, is it, is it possible that these things can coexist and function in some beautiful way that maybe our world doesn't completely understand? Um, I had a friend of mine who, uh, he, he works in cybersecurity law. And Cybersecurity law is a, is a really big deal right now because that's, for the most part, that's where crime is, is moving to. Major crime. It's, it's moving into the internet. And of course, then there's all kinds of issues of, of privacy concerns 
how much is, is the federal government allowed to get in there and like, you know, regulate or not regulate this thing. And so this, this friend of mine who had grown up in a tradition, much like I had, where he would often hear things like that one preacher said after the tsunami, that, you know, thousands of people are now in hell. And, and when you hear that message over and over again, like it, it, it affects you in all kinds of like manic, paranoid ways, right? Um, so he had the opportunity to go down to Washington, D.C. He's working with really big wigs in the federal government on cybersecurity law. What is the federal government allowed to do as far as stepping in to um, halt certain crimes that are going on? And he was brought back into this room and they show him on video screens um, some young girls who are in cages and people are allowed to tap in through video cameras and that's the level of, of evil that is in the world. And, you know, this, these girls are from other countries and he's caught in this moment of, and, and one of the people there says to him, you know, it's quite possible that this is, this is all these girls will ever know. Um, and we're trying to figure out what we can do as far as a federal government, like what, what's allowed as far as how we can manipulate certain things and maybe bypass kind of privacy concerns in order to bring about justice in this way. And I remember he came back from that trip and he was literally in a place where um, you're wrestling with this sense of like, what if this girl never hears about Jesus, Right. What if this girl never has the opportunity to hear about Jesus? Because there's some Christian environments out there that it's very much proclaimed that, that you, know, you have to have a knowledge of Jesus and what Jesus has done in the world, but not only a knowledge of it, but then also some type of proclamation that you align your life with this. And, and if you don't, there will be eternal consequences, and so this friend of mine is in this real wrestle. And so what we're doing here at Mosaic, and I think what a lot of people do, are doing all throughout the church and followers of Jesus are saying, we need spaces where we can wrestle out loud with these questions. We need spaces where we can really wrestle out loud because it would be real easy that if we don't create that space, um, that we just kind of slowly disconnect and our passion kind of just loses steam for who God is and how God is working in the world and how we get to be a part of it. I want to turn this morning to Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. And this is going to start us off and um, kind of set the stage for us, okay? So, um, Revelation begins and John, one of Jesus' followers who's on this island now, um, kind of imprisoned there. He's, he's having these visions. And the visions are, are really of just Jesus, this faithful one, um, who has faithfully led his people and faithful followers of Jesus who have continued to follow Jesus. And just this, this picture that, that God, through Jesus, who takes on the posture of a lamb, you know, that, that God's power is actually exercised in self-sacrificial ways, that he's carrying all of this through to a good and glorious ending, um, all that's happening in the world. And so John has this vision early on of just kind of this scene in heaven, and this is one of the scenes that's there, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After this, I looked, and there before me, 
was a great multitude that no one could count. I love that phrase, that no one could count. A great multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And so when this, this phrase, the Lamb, is talked about, the Lamb, again, is speaking of Jesus, that, that God in the flesh takes on the posture of a self-sacrificial Lamb. That's how his power is exercised in the world. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God. In Mosaic, I think that's one of the most freeing, beautiful things that we can say um, about who we are as followers of Jesus, that salvation belongs to our God. God is the subject of salvation, right? Salvation does not belong to you or I. It doesn't. It doesn't belong to us. It's done to us. And how that's done to us can look like a million and one different things. That's why I'm always amazed. It just I love listening to people's stories, right? Because you realize through people's stories how God brings them to this point of new life and understanding and new beginnings in all kinds of ways. Like salvation belongs to our God. It doesn't belong to us. But unfortunately, there's always people, and sometimes ourselves included, who we're seeking to consolidate earthly power for our own benefit, right? Um, For our own benefit and control. And so um, we often tend to see ourselves as kind of the subject of salvation. We'll define how it looks, how it plays out, who gets it, who doesn't get it. And so because salvation belongs to God, Mosaic, this is more than anything, I hope that this can settle into our very beings this morning. Because salvation belongs to our God, we don't own it or control it. All right, nor does um, the famous preacher who says things that you're like, huh? How do you get to make that declaration? We don't own it or control it. Um, Certainly, we can't dispense it, right? We can't dispense it. Uh, We can't sell it. And we certainly can't offer it on our own terms to others. We can't offer it on our own terms to others. We're not the ones who decides who gets to have salvation. And we certainly cannot threaten to um, take away this gift that someone else gives. You know, either threaten to take it away or hold it back. Like we, and if we catch ourselves, like I've had to catch myself. I can look back at just kind of my walk through the years. And there's been times where I've been guilty of those things. And how do, I, how do I repent of this and say, salvation belongs to our God. And how he brings about his salvation in the world is something that I have to leave with him. And ultimately, there's this picture in Revelation of this great multitude of people that can't even be counted who are standing before the throne. I hope this encourages you in some way, but maybe in some way it also causes a little bit of tension in you, and it also causes you to ask a lot of questions. Okay, well, what about this? What about this? What about these things I've heard? Um, and, and this is what I want us to understand too, Mosaic, is that more than a doctrine, you'll see it on the screen here, more than a doctrine we believe in, 
more than a doctrine we believe in or a condition we find ourselves in or maybe others out, you know? So more than any of that, salvation is a story that we are given the opportunity and freedom to participate within. And I would even bring that a little bit more to home this morning. It's an opportunity for you to participate in salvation this morning. That the reason you're here is because there's something that needs to be reconciled, rescued, brought back to life, saved within, within your very being. And, and God's salvation is, I mean, salvation in the scriptures, you guys, it can refer to a ton of things, right? Certainly it refers to just the forgiveness of sins, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But it can be just being rescued from enemies or oppressors, and maybe for a lot of us, the greatest enemy or oppressor that we face is the inner voice within, right? And so maybe that's your salvation this morning. Or it's just a salvation of, of just shame and, and regret or whatever it is. God's saying, no, there's opportunity for new beginning. Maybe it's um, some literal healing that needs to happen within. And let me say this, Mosaic, that God's salvation, maybe, maybe you need a blessing this morning. Like God's salvation is going to bring you a blessing. And we need to understand that blessing does not always equal prosperity. Okay? Blessing doesn't always equal prosperity. God can bring blessing without prosperity. And second of all, wholeness does not always equal physical healing. It's possible that God wants to work a salvation of wholeness in you this morning, and wholeness does not always equal physical healing. See, but those who want to control salvation a lot of times will, in some way, and those who want to define kind of how it gets dispensed, well, no, God wants to bless you. He wants to, you know, he wants to make you prosper. You know, God wants to make you whole, and so he's going to do that through healing you. And, so, and it's real easy to attract a crowd, right? Because what does our world love? The, the dramatic, the spectacular. But God's blessing does not always equal prosperity. And the wholeness that, God's bring, that God's br- God brings does not always equal physical healing, right? There's a lot of people who still suffer with a lot of ailments who experience wholeness at a deeper level. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. So all the questions, where do we go with this? This is why ultimately the Bible says, guys, and, and the apostle Paul in writing to this ancient church in Corinth, he says, now is the day of salvation. Because salvation is a story that we participate in, this is why he can say now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Because we're constantly participating in this thing. There are things really that you need to be saved from this morning. So, so what does that look like? Um, N.T. Wright, who I, I think is, is one of the prominent theological voices speaking in our world today, um, uh, a bishop um, and theologian in the Church of England, he defines it this way. The problem is that humans, you and I, we're made for a particular vocation, right? We talked a little bit about this last week. We were made for a vocation to live in relationship with God and to guard and protect this world that he's given to us. There's a level of freedom that was at work in the world. Something happened even before life in the garden where, where evil and chaos was a real present reality. And so the human vocation, guys, the reason we're here on planet Earth is because we are called to live in relationship with God and to guard and protect this gift that he's given to us, to guard and protect one another, to care for one another. 
that we would watch out for one another, right? This is our human vocation, which they have rejected, that this rejection involves a turning away from the living God to worship idols, that this results in giving to the idols, which he would call then forces within our world. Because think about it. If you turn from the living God and now all of a sudden you say, no, ultimately my human vocation is to pursue happiness. And the best way that I can pursue happiness is through acceptance in money. What happens? You've now given those forces of acceptance and money, you've given them power to rule over you. So see what happens? You've turned from the living God and you've given those things power in your life now. So forces within the creation, a power over humans in the world that was rightfully that of genuine humans and that this leads us to a slavery, which is ultimately the rule of death itself, the corruption and destruction of the good world made by the creator. Now I know that's a mouthful, right? I know that's a mouthful. And so this is why it's just much easier to say, hey, God loves you and ultimately he wants you to go to heaven and there's heaven and there's hell. And so make sure you do the right things or pray the right prayer, or believe the right things. And all, like that becomes the message that somehow becomes the prevalent message in so many churches because this kind of stuff is, is hard to think about. It's hard to talk about, right? It's hard to really engage in it. it. It asks something of us rather than just, hey, have I checked a box and prayed the right prayer? Have I gone to church enough? Have I done more good things than bad things so that ultimately I can go to heaven um, rather than that other place? But that's not the story of Scripture. The story of Scripture is not where we get to go someday. The story of Scripture is that heaven is ultimately coming here, right? That God's kingdom, his desire for his earthly creation is ultimately on its way here. This is why John at the end of Revelation said, look, I see the holy city and it's actually coming down from heaven. And God is now making his dwelling with us. This is how scripture ends. And so salvation ultimately is about turning from those things that we've given control over our lives that wreak havoc with us and instead saying, no, what does it mean to live in right relationship with God that I'm going to trust him at the core of my being and that ultimately I'm going to look to serve him and then guard and protect this good world and all of the neighbors that he's put in my good world. That, that this is what being alive is all about. The grand narrative of God's salvation, it pulls us out of an individualistic heaven and hell afterlife fascination and into a work of restoring things on this side of creation here and now, Mosaic. The kingdom of heaven is coming here. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. Let me, let me turn us to a couple of other scriptures that I think will help shape this grand narrative. You guys still with me? You're still with me? We're tracking along here? Okay, great. Excellent. If you need to, just kind of shake it out, okay? Try to follow along. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. And this is the section right before the Apostle Paul says, now is the day of salvation. 
Okay, this is the section right before that. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, that one he's speaking about there is Jesus, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view because Christ has done this for everyone. Christ died for all so that all may live. So we regard no one from an earthly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, right? It's like Paul brings us to a cliff and says, look, new creation. Everything is new. Look what, look what has happened because of Christ. Because he died for all and rose again, everything is being made new. There's this brand new world that's blossoming right in the midst of this broken world. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And reconciliation is simply just saying, hey, that where there's strife and enmity and things broken, like let's bring this back together. Let's get back to our human vocation, living in right relationship with God, guarding and protecting this this good gift of this earth that's been given to us and all of our neighbors who live on it. Like let's, let's reconcile this back to God. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the goal of our lives, that we might become the righteousness of God. That we might live that human vocation. So how far does this salvation reach, huh? That's maybe a question that you've asked before. Wow, God's done this thing in Christ. How far does this reach? Am I allowed to hope that maybe this salvation is going to reach real, real, real far? Am I really allowed to hope that? Or if I really hope that, am I like walking on the edge of like being one of those liberals? You know, not taking God seriously. Oh. John 12, 31 and 32. Jesus says this, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Now notice who the judgment is on, right? Who is the judgment on? The judgment is on the prince of this world. And he's talking about the the cosmos. The word there is cosmos, kind of the the worldly system as we know it. And the, the prince of this world is um, the adversary himself, the, the Satan, right? The Satan, a Hebrew word meaning the adversary. That this is who judgment is being passed on. The prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. I remember one time when I was wrestling, going through my ordination process, and one of my ordination mentors um, loved the guy, but you know, we, we were wrestling through some things, and, and um, I said to him, man, I said, what does Jesus mean when he says all? Like, I will draw all people to myself. That's a strong word. He's like, well, all doesn't mean all. Like, what? How can you say that so quick, you know? And so we end up kind of wrestling back and forth about some things. And of course, you know, well, we'll get to this in a minute. But another passage of scripture, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So again, scripture, it points sometimes to these like grand, like massive works of like all things being reconciled to God. Scripture points to a vast reach of God's salvation. But yet God's, God's love requires freedom, right? God doesn't force himself on any of us. God's love requires freedom, and God's holiness requires justice. So let's take a minute and just, how do those work together? So what about justice? What about justice? Well, let me ask you this. Does, does God's justice have to be punitive or retributive? You know, like punishment needs to be dealt out here. Does God's justice need to be exercised that way, or can God's justice be a restorative justice? This is one of the major kind of theological wrestles that's happened throughout the church for years. That throughout this kind of big picture, the meta the meta narrative within Bible within the Bible itself, that there's this picture of God's restorative justice at work, right? That He's reconciling all things, that He's restoring all things. Jesus consistently displayed what God is like, right? So if we want to know, well, what, what is God like? What does God's justice look like? We have to look at Jesus, right? Because Jesus, even Jesus said, if you want to know what the Father is like, just look at me. And what do we see from Jesus? We see that Jesus consistently displayed that Christian justice focuses on solidarity with sinners, with those who were often consider those who were the sinners, right? Those who deserve judgment, those who were apart from God. Jesus consistently displayed this solidarity with sinners in their restoration, not on harsh punishment and rejection. So we need to be careful to assume that Jesus somehow changes his disposition once someone leaves time and space as we know it. Right? Remember, God, God functions and, and lives outside of time and space as we know it. And so how is it that we can just assume that Jesus just takes on this completely different disposition once someone leaves time and space as we know it? It, it really wasn't, guys, until about the 11th century that, that kind of a, a development of God's like punitive justice came into the church. Um, there was this, this guy by the name of Anselm of Canterbury, and he was looking around as, as like kind of modern law at that time was being developed, and there was the scales of justice, right? And so there was, you know, if someone's done something wrong, they need to be punished for it. They need to pay for it. And so there was this kind of punitive justice. Um, and so through that kind of exploration, that's when kind of this punitive restoration came in, but that hasn't always been a part of Christian theology and Christian tradition from the very beginning. And so we, we, we wrestle with these things as they've done throughout the ages. So what about hell? What about hell? Let's just, let's just go there for a minute as we wrap up. Um, before Jesus, 
Jews believed in a a realm of the dead. It was called Sheol. In Greek, it was translated Hades. It was just this this abyss, this realm of the dead. There, we have to get out of our mind like the picture of the American like flames with you know the devil in a pitchfork, like you know poking those who have been naughty, you know those who didn't do enough good, you know those who didn't pray the right prayer, those who didn't go to church enough. Like we have to get that out of our mind because that's that's not in the scriptures. It never is. So. Jews believed in this, this abyss, this realm of the dead, and, and ultimately they believed that there would be a resurrection of the dead at the time the Messiah would come. The Messiah would come, there would be this resurrection of the dead when real bodies would be reunited with, with real living souls. So that's at work. Now Jesus shows up on the scene, and Jesus doesn't talk much about hell. In fact, there's very actually limited instances where Jesus talks about hell. And when Jesus uses the word hell, the word that's being used there is the word Gehenna. And the word Gehenna means Valley of Hinnom. And the Valley of Hinnom was a real literal burning garbage dump on the south side of the wall of Jerusalem. It's just where all the garbage went. It was like anything that was no good to the functioning society of Jerusalem, it was thrown over the wall and just burned there. And it was just constantly burning. You know, and it kind of had this noise to it. Noise is even like the gnashing of teeth and just kind of this slow burn going on. And so when Jesus says things like, look, if your right eye causes you to sin, better for you to like gouge it out and like throw it into hell, Gehenna. Like because you're not participating with your human vocation of guarding and protecting this planet if you're using your eyes for selfish gain. If your hand is being used for selfish gain rather than living in right relationship with God and guarding and protecting this planet and caring for your neighbors, better you cut it off and throw it into Gehenna, throw it into hell. This is why Jesus said those things. Every time that Jesus uses the word hell, he's talking about Gehenna. We just happen to translate it hell. Jesus does talk about a final separation of sheep and goats. And when he talks about this final separation at the end of time, that there's this judgment that's going to take place, when he talks about that, he talks about there's, there's actually going to be some surprises. He's like, there's actually going to be some people who were convinced that they were doing the things of God, and God is going to say to them, depart from me, you never knew me. And then there's going to be others who didn't know that they were doing the things of God. And this is what Jesus is saying, that, that then God is going to say to them, come with me into the everlasting paradise I have prepared for you. So in this instance where Jesus is talking about that final act of things, like there's these surprises that we're faced with. Ultimately, Revelation speaks of, of death, Sheol, and Hades, this abyss being thrown into a, a lake of fire that ultimately, eventually there's this, you know, it's, it's kind of thrown in there. Um, but scripture, it proclaims a mystery of hell and a mystery of the immense rec- reconciliation of all things, right? That, that God is somehow, even outside of space and time as we know it, that God is going to reconcile on a grand scale all things to himself. But because God's love requires freedom, he doesn't force that on any of us. This is why C.S. Lewis would say things like, hell is only locked from the inside. Hell is only locked from the inside. Whatever that, that hellish existence looks like. So what about hell? Um, what, about, what about us, Mosaic? 
What about us? And as we close this morning more than anything, this is, this is what I want us to hopefully um, sit and wrestle with because it's, it's easy to kind of look at everyone else, but what about us? What about you and I? What in your life right now, what attitude, what attitude, what, what disposition towards a neighbor, whether that neighbor is someone that you live with or someone you work with or someone that you see on a regular basis, what, what attitude, what disposition toward a neighbor, what action right now, maybe where you find yourself trying to grab and acquire and control rather than trust and share and guard and protect. So what, what attitude, what disposition, what action um, needs to be thrown into Gehenna and into that place where it's like that attitude, that disposition, that action is not bringing about God's new world. That is not, that is not allowing you to really engage in your true human vocation. And as a result, because that, that attitude, that disposition, that action is there, relationships are breaking apart around you. You're hurting people around you because of that, that thing. What, what needs to be thrown into that, that garbage dump? Because that's what Jesus invites us to do, right? This, Jesus is saying, look, let's bring, the, let's bring the focus back to the here and now rather than kind of this constant focus of where are people going afterwards. Um, and so as you come forward this morning, Keith, I'll invite you back up here to lead us into this final song. But as you come forward to these tables this morning, let's do this. Let's say... God, I, I need you to kind of just take this, this attitude, this disposition that's in my heart, this action, and I need, you to just, I need you to just throw it into Gehenna because it's not, it's not a part of your kingdom. It's not a part of what you're building. And would you allow Jesus to remind you of how you are forgiven, right? You are loved. That, that one died for all. That one died for you. He was the faithful one. That's the good news. The good news is that he was the faithful one. You and I can't be. You and I won't be. We don't have to be. He's the faithful one, but we now get to participate with what he wants to do in our lives and what he wants to do in the world. So, right, what a beautiful hope, Mosaic, that salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to our God. Maybe at some point in time, you might find yourself... Um, I know I've been there many times where I've been at maybe the funeral of a loved one and um, my heart can be toiling because I wish I would have seen something from this person that led me to believe that they desired to live in this relationship with God. And maybe I never saw that. Maybe they actually just showed how they walked away from it over and over again. Um, don't I've seen so many Christian people you know, kind of like toil over that. Oh my goodness, is my loved one, you know, like burning in this eternal conscious torment, you know, God's punitive justice, you know, being punished. But that's not a part of the grand biblical narrative, guys. Yes, God's justice and holiness is a serious thing, but God's, but God's mercy and his love coexists with that. And um, I've even found it helpful sometimes just to say when I have someone I know or someone who I, I love has passed, 
Um, and I, I, maybe I haven't, you know, like seen them display this desire to live in a right relationship with God. I've, it's been helpful for me to say, God, this person is now in the beautiful care of your beautiful justice and mercy. And so do with them what you'll do with them. But that's not a scary thing. And it's not a scary thing for you or I when we find ourselves crossing over to the other side. God's beautiful justice and mercy coexist together. Jesus is the faithful one who died and took our place. Sins are forgiven that we might live and be the righteousness of God. So as you come forward this morning, just come down this center aisle and yeah, what is that attitude? What is that disposition, that action? Just let Jesus kind of toss that into the garbage um, that we can go and cultivate God's new world as we go from here. And really living with this hope that, man, God is doing something vast in the world. Salvation belongs to God. And ultimately, there's a day coming where there is this vast amount of people before the throne that no one can count. Don't even try. A beautiful hope, beautiful reality. So come when you're ready, Mosaic.